Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have a CEO from a pharma company. So a little bit different take here. Uh, his name is Stanley Warren. He's the CEO of Nude Pharma. Goes by Pharmacy Stan on LinkedIn, where he's made quite a lot of waves in the pharmacy community. Uh, he's got 19 years of community pharmacy experience from basically technician all the way up to the VP of operations. So welcome to the podcast, Stan. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me. Hey, the pleasure is all mine because you're really trying to shake up the industry with some of the stuff. So what prompted you to start a pharmacy company in the middle of a pandemic? So at the time I was living in Manhattan and the pandemic was very real and very scary. I had to jump back into a role that was more on the on the front lines, you know, actually filling prescriptions and doing some of the stuff that I did when I was, you know, much younger in my career, just to keep the pharmacy operations moving. We had a lot of patients who had immunocompromised parents, so they, you know, we lost a lot of our staff right at the beginning. It just really got to me. I, I would walk uh, 30 blocks to and from work in, in Manhattan, and I would go uh, past Mount Sinai West, and I would see the makeshift morgue and the body bags quite frequently in the mornings. So that, and just having a, a failing relationship at the time, I decided to get out of New York and uh, leave my job and come up with something that gave me more purpose in life. For the longest time, I had been chasing money and titles. Initially, after I left my last role, I had interviewed for a bunch of different opportunities, one of which was a COO position at a probably a little more further along startup than where I am right now. And I, I didn't end up getting the role, but just getting the interview for me was um, told me that I had been chasing money and titles, so I knew I needed to do something bigger. Yeah, I, so that's that's a pretty unique experience because you've done all of it on the community pharmacy side, and then you just middle of the pandemic realized that you wanted to achieve something more. So, with your nude pharma, like, what is kind of the goal? Like, what are you trying to do? Like, what made you? What is the goal you're reaching for with this? So, I mean, the ultimate vision is to bring accessibility, affordability, and transparency into the pharma and pharmacy industry. We, we all know that they're the least transparent industries in America. Pharmaceuticals is actually the most lucrative in the, in the country, but you know, at what costs? We tend to put profits before patients in America, and that's the one thing I'm looking to change. If uh, the listeners have heard of what's called B Corps, companies like Allbird, uh, Ben & Jerry's, Patagonia and many others now, they all have to apply for these B Corp certifications that say that they're sustainable and they have different community impact standards and different levels of transparency that you have to meet. So I'd like to create the first or one of the first because if somebody else beats me to it, then, you know, the patients still win. So I want to follow along with these standards and show that we can really still be successful in this industry without just making profit. If we don't put profit after patients at some point, no one will be able to afford healthcare. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of crazy too because healthcare, the expectation is, and this isn't always the actual case, that the cost is going to keep going up and up and up. But there's a there's a limit at some point. Like no matter what industry you're in, there's a limit. And I feel like this is just personally, we're getting pretty close to that. When you're seeing these drugs come out, some of these new biologics are like $56,000 a year for treatment just for the drug. And we're going, 
you know, that's a lot of money for something you're going to be on for multiple years of your life. I don't know if that's very sustainable. So what kind of really made you, what made you come up with the name Nude Pharma? Just the transparency part? Yeah, it was, well, I mean, both the transparency aspect and just being an attention-grabbing word. You know, I thought of different names like Clear Pharma or actually Nude Pharma was my second choice. And I it was pretty obvious right away that it just it stuck in my head. I know that in advertising contention sells, you know, the word nude can grab somebody's attention for, you know, various set of emotions. <laughs> so that and coupled with my idea for the social media campaign, you know, it is America, so there won't be any actual nudity. <laughs> but I, I want to have people holding large white poster boards with the appearance that they're naked, you know, probably wearing a swimsuit or something behind the board. But the board will, you know, say different quips about their, like, hardships of uh, the healthcare industry. For example, you know, Aetna denied my father's surgery and required a prior authorization. He died a week later. And then, like, hashtag nude pharma. We, hashtag we have nothing to hide. That's a pretty cool idea. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you went with nude over clear pharma because whenever you talk about being in Florida and then clear in pharmacy, I just think of Barry Bonds. That's more of like an obscure sports reference, but that's just <laughs> me. Um, I so, wouldn't have caught that, but it, it does make sense. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just that sports nerd mixed with pharmacy that, you know, probably a lot of the more male listeners tend to skew to, especially at my age, just because we were following that. But uh, you had talked to me kind of previously about kind of going for something like EpiPen that we've seen a lot of like crazy prices on but then we see mandates with it for like kids having to have it in schools and stuff like that so what was kind of like your thought with that part of it originally when i met my the original co-founder um preston we had connected at a time when i was still thinking about developing software or an app for independent pharmacies for different you know i probably have ideas for about 15 of them but they weren't really sitting well with me. I, I, you know, I found a software architect and engineer that could help me build some of these ideas. I found out uh, at this point that our health data is sold as soon as we submit any claim, yep. and it goes to two companies and then sold back to people who, like me who want to build an app for lots of money. So I met Preston, and you know he was really in, he has a company called One Degree Medical, not not to be confused with One Medical, and they reverse engineered this fluid drape warming system for a for a hospital procedure. Uh, he was selling them as a device rep, and they, you know said you know I can definitely get these for way less than what we're selling them for, and then you know that's exactly what he did. So we got to talking, and then. He was really passionate about insulin. I was like, okay, you know, I, I agree, but insulin is refrigerated. So, you know, I was thinking most insulins are used in a pen nowadays. And then, you know, EpiPens were also a, a big topic of controversy about five, six years ago. So I, I said, let's remove that level of refrigeration complexity because I don't know how much product waste we'll go through as a distributor of this of these products and you know, you know it can get expensive really quick so i said you know let's let's start with EpiPen and then go from there he agreed and when the research really went on of like why why the cost went up so much and that i i knew we found the right the right product to start with 
why did the price go up so much on EpiPen? Some of the listeners may know, but I think it's a good explainer of why you're starting the company as well. Ultimately, it went up because of greed. The company Mylan, who owned, who acquired the rights from Merck back in 2007, uh, Merck was selling them for $57 a piece. And as Joe Manchin's daughter, Heather Brush, took the reins of Mylan in 2012, Joe Manchin also appointed Gail Manchin to the president of the National Association of School Boards and Education, where she promoted EpiPens via a fear-mongering campaign to raise awareness about kids' allergies, and then you know went on to proceed to have 11 states make laws requiring schools to carry EpiPens. The initial contracts said that they could only get them from Mylan if they wanted to get like X amount free first. Heather Brush slowly just raised the price up, you know, year after year after year. Even took full responsibility for it when she was testified on with Congress, and she ended up getting a $465 million fine for it. But she made Mylan over a billion dollars in her seven years as CEO with Mylan. She took home $130 million in salary. <laughs> Sounds like a, a pretty easy win there. If you can have a billion dollar victory in profit, only pay $400 million in fines and then also make, you know, hundreds of millions yourself. So that sounds like a good deal to me. Yeah. And it's also nice that she had a senator father that could make it all happen who was close to the founder, uh, Puskar Milan. Yeah, that's just nuts. And that's something that I really didn't know that until we started talking and started digging into it a little bit. But I think it's pretty interesting. And I, I think you're your point is actually very good about going for more of a small molecule item as opposed to something like insulin that's a little more complex that has all these different technologies and refrigeration issues. And, you know, I remember when EpiPen prices were a lot cheaper. I didn't remember the exact price because a lot of times we'd bill them and they were just covered. But it is a shame that this, for a lot of times, does involve kids or people who have allergies and you have no control over that. Like even, not to say that diabetes is something we should shame people for, but if someone's overweight, you can theoretically look at them and be like, hey, maybe you should lose weight. And I don't really like that argument, but that is something that people say. No one is saying that with things like EpiPens, especially when it comes to kids. If you get stung with a bee and you're allergic, like you have to have an EpiPen. There's no negotiating. There's no going to the pharmacy. Like this just has to be there and on you. Is that kind of like the heartstring story that really, what really hit home with you? Yeah. And I mean, even like I've been in pharmacy 19 years on the retail side and I've seen countless Parents with multiple children only get one EpiPen for all the children because their copay is too high uh, because of their deductible or lack of coverage or the insurance won't approve it or whatever the case may be. That and, you know, I'm also doing this to have, ideally we're going to bring them to market for $50 or less. Right now I'm still trying to figure out if we can pull it off without having to manufacture it ourselves or if we have to do it that way because all of the CDMOs or places that we could license it from are going to end up you know, being corrupted by our competitors and our supply chain will get shut down. Um, it's my biggest concern, but I also don't know if I can convince somebody to, to fund me with $100 million without a track record. <laughs> Understandable. The uh, So one th- interesting thing I was thinking, too, is like when you think about this, like being transparent, we've had uh, AJ Loacano on from Capital RX for transparent PBMs. And it's like kind of is like the captain obvious, but blows people's mind. 
but he's obviously having good success with it. What makes you think that a pharma company being transparent, and I hate to use the term pharma because you're not like in the PHRMA group if you, of pharma that we often refer to, but what makes you think that like a pharmaceutical company will be successful by being just transparent and like being a B Corp like this? I plan to do a direct-to-pharmacy, direct-to-prescriber business model. We want to, you know, I'm basically following in the footsteps of Mark Cuban's uh, cost plus drugs. I'm not exactly sure if cost plus 15% will will cover it, especially because I'm I have to raise money through an investor and and you know make their money back in a reasonable time for them to even be interested. I don't I don't have a 4.4 billion dollar net worth to kind of <laughs> back all my projects. So you know I'm going to do it as close to cost plus 15 or 20 percent as possible but i also want to make sure that we can sell it to independent pharmacies and, and prescribers at a rate where they always make a you know a profit because the majority of my background is all in retail pharmacy and you know all i did for the past three years as vp of pharmacy uh, was work on fighting to not lose money for the company <laughs> um so declining reimbursements and DIR fees really like, make it impossible for a pharmacy to make money. And, and EpiPen specifically, uh, we would lose money on brand name claims to almost all insurances, uh, especially Optum. And on generic, we were paying about 225 and getting reimbursed as low as 175 <laughs> If There's nothing more corrupt to me that a medication a kid needs they can't afford, and when they can afford it, or the insurance is billed to astronomical rate, or the you know the, the employer is whatever, or the state in some cases, then the pharmacy loses money on it. So really, the person selling the product and the person who needs the product are losing, but the middlemen are the one who are making all the money on this. I guess the pharma I wouldn't say is the middleman, but either way, like you know, they're they're the ones who are making all the money on it. Oh yeah, you know, my line wasn't hurting either. There was a, a consulting group in Silicon Valley that broke down the cost of building an EpiPen, and a two-pack would cost $8.50. Even in Heather Brush's claims, they were selling the list price of EpiPen was like $234 or something, so she was blaming the PBMs for jacking up the price and the wholesalers the rest of the way. Yeah, and if you look at that, okay, wholesalers got to get their cut. Again, say it's 10 15 whatever percent. And then the PBM is going to get theirs, which should be a flat fee per transaction, like $5 or something. But anyway, they, we know it's more than that. And then you, so right there, if it costs eight bucks, say you make it a hundred percent markup, you're looking at 16 and then you add 10% to that, you're talking 18 ish. And then say, if you add five to that, you're only talking $23 pharmacy has a markup. You're still coming in at under $50, but they're charging hundreds for these things. Well, we also have to factor in like the cost of producing is also all the fees that are associated with getting approved through the FDA. True. Although I've I've talked to I talked to one consultant who told me he could get them to me for about thirty five dollars a unit. I didn't really he didn't really embode confidence in me that this that he could do it, but you know it at least gave me kind of a reference point. Um, and I think. With thirty-five dollars a unit as like our our costs, maybe they'll have to be sixty dollars. From you know, I have to really do some more math, and you know how depending on how many employees we're gonna have, but like I think close to fifty dollars would be 
perfect. My biggest fear is raising it above that is if the insurance, if the PBMs block us because yeah. they can block a specific NDC of a generic drug, even if it's approved. <laughs> we, um, we've all seen that. <laughs> then if we don't have insurance coverage, it's going to make it more difficult. So, but I think if it's at least, if it's $50, most copays are above $50, even with the manufacturer card, because everybody has such high deductible plans these days. Well, and you know, the big thing I think of that too is so schools have to buy these. And if school has to buy them, we're talking tax dollars. So if they're going to have to buy them direct from the manufacturer or whatever, is Mylan going to risk selling it to them much cheaper? PBMs finding out and then saying, hey, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And all those, that whole mess of business negotiation. Or, you know, if they can buy it straight from you, it's bioequivalent or whatever, and we're okay to give it. That's a substantial savings because every state has thousands of schools. So that's, you know, if every school just had one, that's just tens of thousands of school districts. So that's the sales built right in there. So you have a magnitude already. Is that kind of the way you're, you're seeing this? Yeah, I figure if if there's any chance that we get them to market for that price, as many as we can get, we'll be able to sell because it's <laughs> – you just everybody wins even if it's a prescriber or practitioner's office and they're paying the wholesale cost and they don't resell it they're still you know they're doing well the schools do well i think even some air airlines require EpiPens yeah on every plane so there's there's just so many places where they are now required because of all the, the games that heather brush and her family are allowed to play that I think we can grab market share really quickly as long as we can actually get an approved product. Yeah, no, I think that I think something like this is just one amazing because the price point is just it's just so hard to beat. Like, you know, when you're talking your com- competitors are charging three, four, ten, twelve times what you're even coming to market for, like it's just it makes it very one sided. Even the PBMs could almost just look at you and be like, Yeah, we'll pay full price. Here you go. We're still saving money. So with that, what do you see as some of the inherent flaws with like some of these other pharma companies? And I'm, I don't want to pick on just Mylan, but like you can if you want. What are some of the inherent flaws that cause them to just throw these prices like through the roof with some of the stuff? As a nation, we've let the industry be unchecked for the last hundred years, uh, more than a hundred years. I started listening to the book Pharma by Gerald Posner. He he's been on and... the podcast. It's a great book. Again, please go read it. <laughs> I'm. I, I think I still have about 14 hours left. It's it's such a long book, but it's oh my god, it's so informative. It's it's funny. Merck is now my favorite pharma company. Not that they're perfect, but the founder George Merck, he originally said the same thing that is kind of what I'm basing my motto on is you know that medications are made for patients first, and then the profits come after. Whereas the CEO, the original uh, George McKean, I believe, from Pfizer back in 1950, he said drugs should only be made if they can extract huge windfall profits. <laughs> I did not know that, but that's pretty interesting to hear that that's, that's so different. And the, this is going to be random, but I know that it's almost like the difference between Hershey and Mars. If you look at like how they kind of came to be, Hershey was doing everything for the kids and really for nonprofit and for like all these charities, whereas Mars was doing it purely for profit and going right after Hershey. So I think that's, that's pretty interesting that it's the dynamics are totally different. The industries are totally different or the industries are totally different, but the dynamics are like the exact same. So 
what other flaws do you see with some of these pharma companies, especially since you're, uh, you've been studying up on it a little bit and you're kind of trying to dive into this field? So a lot of the lobbyists and, and executives are so ancestrally in bed into politics and, and having legislature written for them. You know, that, was, that was the other problem with the prices of EpiPens going way up. Um, Heather Bresch was able to pass, she was, helped lobby the 2003 Modern Medicare, the Medicare Modernization Act which gave a lot of little protections for pharma, such as like tax protection if they had less than 500 million in assets, but they all have numerous subsidiaries so they can just keep moving money around. Um, another one had something to do with sealing all legal disputes that didn't end up in criminal charges or something like along those lines. In 2012, she single-handedly lobbied and had a bill passed that we now know as the Generic Drug User Fee Act, which took um, the cost of applying to even have a generic drug brought to market. And this is in 2012 when she takes the reins of CEO Mylan and Gail Manchin, her mother, starts this EpiPen campaign through all the schools. Heather passes this fee, this, this act, uh, and EpiPen's patent is expiring so she passes this act and it raises the fee to apply to get a generic drug approved by the fda from about twenty thousand dollars to four hundred thousand dollars jesus so perfect timing to essentially keep most of her competition from you know advancing and then she had deals with teva and sanofi and then lawsuits with Teva, Sanofi, Valiant, and a few others. Anybody that was trying to come in and constantly just like throwing litigation and, and just really, you know, abusing the system to ensure that they made so much money off of it. So, and it's not just my land. It's if you listen to Joe Posner's book right now, I'm here. He, he's just starting to talk about the Sacklers and their rise to to power with Purdue Pharma and, you know, I'm really, really wondering how much of the opioid epidemic wasn't created intentionally. I hate to go down that path, but it just, yeah. you know, at one time we sold heroin and, and cocaine via prescription. Actually, cocaine is still a prescription item um, in the U.S., but we used to sell heroin without a prescription. And then also through this book, I learned that Bayer, who sold heroin originally, also owns Monsanto. So, you know, how you're saying Mars and, and Hershey are kind of similar. Uh, the more I've learned about the industry, the more I've learned that it, it could be really deep and how corrupt it is. Yeah, well, you definitely got me rooting for you because this is an industry that for a long time has always played as like the bad boy. And I, I've... It, it has its issues. I will totally admit that. It does has its its strong points. It's not nearly as horrible as the PBMs, which obviously you you know all about. But it's definitely something that could use some cleaning up. And whenever I see someone who's coming in with a best faith, like is taking care of people, I'm always going to root for them. It's just the way I am. So I'm glad to see that someone like you is doing this. So thanks again for doing that. No problem. I mean, again, if I can help patients, that's that's all I want to do in life now. Yeah. And man, I love it. We've had a lot of talks leading up to this and 
it really comes out when I when we're talking one on one. So I I think that's an awesome thing that I'm looking forward to seeing you in. Um, but I won't let you go before asking you two questions. I ask everybody who comes on the podcast, and this could be about where you're currently working with Nude Pharma or past experiences. If you could change one thing in pharmacy that is not a law, what would it be and why? If I could have a magic wand and if I wanted to make the biggest impact on patients, I would somehow wave that magic wand and get you know the big three, especially retail operations, to properly staff or you know even give extra staff so that pharmacists could actually do what they went to school to do and to counsel patients and really make sure that they understand how important it is to use them as prescribed versus trying to cheat the system by cutting them in half or, you know, people don't take them or, and just how important it is to communicate with the pharmacists, you know, I stopped taking this and then have a conversation because, you know, it makes it hard to get a complete picture of care. If the patient, the pharmacist and the physician are not in communication, which right now they are almost no symmetry. Yeah, that's, that's definitely one that hits home. And the more I, the more I work in pharmacy, so I get that. And I think it shows too, just to how you've worked across pharmacy with that one. So uh, if, oh, you, yeah. if you could change one law in pharmacy, federal or state, add a law, modify it, take away a law, what would it be and why? I would definitely prevent a conflict of interests in creating businesses that benefit each other. I don't think CBS should be able to own the PBM, the wholesaler, the retail, the, the compounding, the mail order, the metrics, the uh, GPO, the now they're doing clinical trials. And it goes even further than that. It just allow, especially because they're not checked in any way. It, you think of like an independent pharmacy being audited by CVS. Well, what about CVS auditing CVS? They don't audit themselves yet. I know with Optum, we ex- my last company, we experienced tremendously predatory audits on almost every single brand name claim that was um, now had a generic alternative. Yeah, it's, God, the vertical integration in pharmacy and even obviously views alliterated with pharma just is kind of crazy. <laughs> it really is. So, And it has to be one of the only fields that is just allowed to run amok with this because somehow it's quote unquote better, but I don't always see it. So I agree with you. Where can people find you if they want to reach out to kind of learn more about nude pharma, what you're trying to do with, with all this stuff. So the best place to reach out to me is probably, or to read more about me as a person is on LinkedIn at LinkedIn slash pharmacy stand. Uh, I also have my own personal website, pharmacystand.com. And nude pharma is nudepharma.com. All right, great. Those are those are pretty easy to remember since we're gonna put nude pharma in the title of this episode. I'll I'll try to link that in the in the show notes so that people can find you as well. So thanks for coming on the podcast, Stan. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me. And listeners, as always, if you can share this just to try and get good word out, I think that's a good thing to do since that's what Stan's trying to do here. And thank you for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics. Mm-hmm.